baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of From the Diamond. Why is it special, you might be asking? Because it's finally opening day for the 2020 Major League Baseball season. We are super excited about that. Major League Baseball action already in the books. And the Braves and Mets getting set to open the 2020 season a little bit later on Friday and throughout the weekend up at City Field. Welcome into the show again. As always, I'm Grant McCauley. I'm going to be joined by Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution to give you a Braves preview as we break down the roster in advance of opening day. And also Bill Rowland will check in with me and we'll go over all the big Major League Baseball news of this week. And there was plenty of it to get to. There's a brand new playoff format, a brand new big money contract happening out in Los Angeles. And of course, we continue to monitor the effects of COVID-19 on the baseball world, particularly up in Toronto and for a star of the Washington Nationals as well. And we'll get to all of that on this episode of the show. You can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also leave your ratings and reviews, which are always appreciated. And if you enjoy the show, be sure to share From the Diamond with a friend. Make sure you're following along on Twitter, at From the Diamond underscore is where you find the show. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can find Bill Rowland on Twitter at Bill Rowland, B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D, and Gabe Burns. You can find at Gabe Burns AJC on Twitter as well. On Instagram at From the Diamond with no underscore. I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram. And you can find every episode of the show and so much more at FromTheDiamond.com. So we've got a lot of stuff to get into now as we get ready for Braves opening day. And we now know what the 30-man roster is going to look like and talk about that and what the Braves can expect as they get the 2020 season started. This 60-game sprint, I want to welcome Gabe Burns into the show once again. Gabe, appreciate your time. I don't know if you're as excited as I am, but you know we were looking for opening day, waiting for opening day, and finally we are here. Opening day of the 2020 season, how you feeling? Uh, feeling good, Grant. Thanks for having me on as always. Definitely was not sure if we'd ever get to this day, but now that we're here, it is nice to talk and soon watch base talk about and watch baseball again. So uh, we're all aware of what's going on in the world, and I hope everyone's staying healthy. But as far as baseball goes, it is nice to have live sports on again. No doubt about it. It was nice to see it on the TV again, nice to hear it on the radio, and of course, it's always nice to talk to you about what's going on with the Braves as well. So Uh, Let's start with this roster. It's 30 men to start the season. It'll get pared down to 28 and then 26 over the couple of weeks that follow. I wouldn't say there were a lot of surprises when it came to the Braves' 30-man roster, but a couple of late additions in particular that we're going to talk about. And uh, one notable name who's not going to be starting the season with the Braves. We already knew that, but just how far behind he was going to be. Cole Hamels was a guy the Braves came to summer camp hoping was going to be in their rotation to start the season. Triceps tendonitis uh, put him behind, and now 45-day injured list for Cole Hamels. 
That means the Braves' rotation, as we knew, was going to be Mike Sirocco on opening day, then Max Fried, Sean Newcomb, Mike Fultonevich, and Kyle Wright to start the season. What do you make of the Braves' starting staff, Gabe? We've talked about them a lot. What do you expect as we get the season underway? It could be really good or it could be average. There's definitely a lot of outcomes with this group. As I've written before, I think if you just assume that Soroka and Freed are going to be above average, at least above average, I should say, which is a pretty comfortable assumption. What happens with Newcomb and Fulte, I mean, that's going to determine what we really think of this rotation, and that's going to determine, you know, the Braves' final record. Sure. Uh, so you lose Hamels. I mean, yeah, that's no doubt a big loss because, I mean, it, you know, when you look at the 162-game season, there, there was some talk and some concern about how are they going to replace these innings from, you know, Keiko and Julio and everything. And now you don't really worry about that in a 60-game season. But still, Hamels was supposed to provide some stability. Mm-hmm. And instead, it is just looking like a total whiff. Uh, now, I can appreciate what he brings being around Max Freed and for these young guys to be able to pick his mind. And if he might turn out to be healthy – and totally refreshed toward the playoffs. And, you know, if he winds up pitching well down the stretch or, you know, if he provides a couple good playoff starts or anything like that, he can definitely flip the narrative. But right now, it just hasn't come together for him. Yeah. Ultimately, uh, if Kyle Wright steps up and he establishes himself, in the long run, the Braves will be like, well, it worked out because Kyle Wright was kind of forced into a role that we didn't really peg him for entering the season. Turns out that he's ready. So, I mean, this is obviously a huge opportunity for Kyle Wright. That He was probably going to be starting the season in AAA. Cole would have missed the start, but they did have Felix. I mean, odds were he was going to start off in the minor leagues, and he would just make a few appearances there before he wound up getting his call up. Now it's he's probably your fifth starter. So he's got an opportunity now to really secure this thing. And if he pitches well this year, then you can ink him into the rotation next year. If he he pitches well this year, that's really going to go a long way in determining where the Braves rotation stands. So huge opportunity and huge year here for Kyle Wright. I said before, you know, how much can you really determine in a 60 game season? Well, we're going to learn a lot about Kyle Wright here, just being forced into action. But you know, going back to the initial point, ultimately it's really going to be on Fulte and Newcomb's shoulders here. Fulte cannot afford a poor start like he had last year, obviously. And for Newcomb, I mean, I think it's fair to say that if it doesn't work out with him as a starter this time, he, he will not be in the future rotation in Atlanta. So really big individual seasons for these guys. And if they can put it together, it's going to bode well for their future in this organization, and it's it's going to bode really well for the Braves' immediate future on the field. I think at this point, it's pretty safe to say, when you're on the 45-day injured list in a 60-game season that's happening in, what, 66 days, the math on that really says that Cole Hamels is really no longer in Atlanta's plans. If you get him back at this point, it's kind of a bonus, I would imagine, but that does press yeah. other guys into action and ups their responsibility, if nothing else, and Kyle Wright is going to be the first line of defense when it comes to having somebody step into the rotation with Hamels on the injured list, with Felix Hernandez opting not to play in 2020. That changed the dynamic of the back end of the rotation. And it also, you're right, puts a spotlight on Mike fulton who had some questions to answer after his up-and-down 2019. It didn't end in the manner that he wanted it to. The tune-up start this week really did not go a long way towards making you feel great about where he is, but... You know, I will once again say, hey, it's an exhibition outing. If he wanted to throw more curveballs and change-ups, and that's what he was doing, that's great. 
The low velocity did have me kind of wondering exactly what's going on with him. But if the lights are on and the bell rings and Fulte comes out and looks like he should, then I would imagine that some of your fears or my fears or anybody's fears could be allayed as far as that is concerned. But that rotation as it stands right now, you're looking at Mike Soroka, Max Freed, Mike Fultonevich, Sean Newcomb, and Kyle Wright. And then an interesting addition to the Braves' depth as far as the innings that will need to be covered early in the year if we see some of these piggyback kind of situations. Uh, good to see Tuki Toussaint coming back from his COVID-19 bout, which was asymptomatic for him, but he was cleared, made the opening day roster. He's going to cover some innings, I'd imagine. Josh Tomlin makes the Braves' 30-man roster as well. And Jolis Chassin is back. So kind of some interesting names and some guys that – may not necessarily be the biggest names, but could play an integral part in helping the Braves' rotation establish itself early on with the innings they're going to be asking from the starting five. Yeah, uh, three interesting guys there, and they're good to have, especially when you have a season where you could come in one day and you find out that one of your starters is going to be unavailable Mm -hmm. for who knows how long. So having guys like that, having these guys who can't handle multiple innings, I mean, it's going to be good for their piggybacking strategy, and it's going to be good as backup plans if something happens or if one of these guys that we aren't sure about falters, then they have other guys to plug in. And there's, I mean, there's also going to be Bryce Wilson, who, you know, didn't right. make the initial roster. but And then Ian Anderson, if it comes to that, if, if that's a decision they wind up making. So they definitely have a handful of guys who can cover it. So they're in a really fortunate position the team the Braves are going to be playing on opening day. I mean, look at what the Mets are going through right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's hard to fathom the Braves really ever getting to a point where they're, you know, they're a starter short. So it's definitely a plus. And, you know, why not sign another guy? Like, uh, I mean, people were kind of wondering about the signing and everything. I mean, they're just adding more depth. They already have plenty of it. And you're going to need as much of it as you can. It's the same reason that the team looked, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in a bit, but them looking into signing LCL Puig. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world to just keep on adding, especially when you have the aspirations that this club has. Yeah, most certainly. We'll get to Puig and some of the other moves the Braves have made to you know, get their position players or their everyday players in some kind of order and also have that depth that you could need at some point during the season. But pitching is going to be, I think, the most important aspect or the biggest question that they're going to want to answer of things that, you know, from a roster-building perspective, we wondered how many pitchers they're going to carry So we got the answer to that. It is 16 pitchers that the Braves are going to be carrying on this active roster. Some of the names we know in rotation and then some of the names we just discussed we should be familiar with. But a few guys that are getting opportunities and perhaps pitching for their big league careers. Grant Dayton is one we've talked about quite a bit. Also, Tyler Matzek. He's a lefty reliever, just like Dayton. And then, of course, A.J. Minter we know quite a bit about. But those three lefties getting an opportunity, I think, in large part because of the absence of Will Smith, who's going to open the season on the COVID-19 injured list, which, of course, has no day designation put beside it. It's just whenever they can get him back. What do you make of those three and where they fit into the Braves' bullpen plans in the early going? It's the chance for one of them or, you know, even all three of them to cement themselves here. So the Braves need at least one of these guys to really be something. And I think that Mentor is a he's, a he's a guy who's kind of flown a little bit under the radar since he bottomed out last year. This was a guy that, you know, we were all kind of anointing the team's net future closer, and, you know, he winds up just completely losing it. And now he comes back, and Snit's been saying a lot of nice things about him and how he kind of looks more like he did in 2018. And, you know, maybe if he could put things back together again, it could really change the Braves' bullpen, especially – 
you know, even long-term because you've got several of these guys who are about to be free agents after the season too. So Dayton is another interesting guy. We haven't seen much of him. I think he only pitched in like 14 games last year. Mm -hmm. He was injured when he came over. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with with the lefties there. But, I mean, it's definitely kind of an area to watch for this team. Uh, until Will Smith gets back. Yeah, as we round out the Braves' bullpen, names that we know are going to be playing a bigger role. Mark Melanson, of course, Shane Green, Luke Jackson, and Chris Martin. Righty's there, along with Darren O'Day, the veteran. Those are guys I think you're going to have to lean on a lot for those high-leverage situations, especially until you get Will Smith back. I think those will be the guys that if Brian Snitker has a lead to protect in the middle to late innings, those are going to be the names that are getting called in some order with Melanson getting the first crack at the save opportunities. It helps so much this bullpen that they've put together. Normally you lose a guy like Will Smith and it can really, really hurt. And don't get me wrong. I mean, obviously it's it's bad all around to, to not have him back yet, but they certainly have enough guys to kind of cover his absence. Uh, obviously Melanson, Green, two former All-Stars, Darren O'Day, it's been a while, but, I mean, he was also a former All-Star. I mean, you've got – and now Luke Jackson in, in, in a better suited role for him too. I know, you know he's kind of a hot topic – among fans but i mean that's kind of relievers and bullpens for you so yeah it's a good group a chris martin you brought him up really really good pitcher really good control guy so they've got a really impressive group here and i think if you stack there you know i've seen all these people going around doing bullpen rankings and stuff and it actually looks like the braves bullpen has been kind of underrated sure uh, on, on a lot of these lists. So if, if you stack them up against other teams in the NL, I, I would think they certainly have a top three bullpen out of those 15 teams. So that's a pretty good look at the Braves pitching staff. We've gone over all 16 men who made this 30-man roster to open the season. Let's turn our attention to position players, in particular catchers. The Braves are going to carry two. And, of course, Travis Darno, Tyler Flowers are those two guys. How do you feel about the veteran tandem that's going to be behind the plate for the Braves to start the year? I think it's solid. I think that's really what you're looking for out of catching these days. And I think there's a little little room for improvement with Darno. Uh, you know, he, he showed a little bit more pop last year in Tampa. And then, you know, through this summer camp, rebooted spring trip, whatever you want to call it, uh, he's, he's shown a good bit of power too. So all the teammates have raved about him. Obviously he has a little more background and inside info on the AL East, which could be pretty useful. Um, with them, fate with those being the other teams they're facing out of their division. So, and then Tyler Flowers, you kind of know what you're going to get. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a solid group. It's a fine group. I mean, it, it doesn't stand out or anything. But I really think, as far as catching goes, you just want to have just kind of an average group, and you're good to go. Yeah, and I think these are guys that they are known commodities, and it might not be the biggest names that you find in catchers across Major League Baseball. But you start to really peel back the layers in that position there are not a ton of everyday catchers the way that maybe there were in years past. It seems like over the past, I'd say, decade or so, there are fewer and fewer catchers that really have staying power with a particular club. When there is a pretty good one, he ends up in free agency and signs a pretty big deal. So the Braves have a couple of guys they can depend on. That's certainly a good thing behind the plate. I'd imagine Alex Jackson will be the guy on the taxi squad for the Braves, but also William Contreras, worth keeping an eye on this year as well behind the plate for the Braves. Let's turn to the infield. Biggest story, of course, was the COVID-19 diagnosis for Freddie Freeman. I think that put a jolt into everybody, and uh, you kind of wondered what kind of effect that was going to have on the Braves and how long it was going to have an effect on Atlanta. They got a lot of good news in the past week as it concerns Freddie Freeman as he was able to get his two negative tests, come back and play, get enough at-bats, and make the opening day roster. 
And Gabe, I don't think it can be stated enough how important Freddie Freeman in the middle of the Braves lineup and anchoring first base is going to be for this club, especially in a shortened season like we're playing this year. It's enormous. If you followed Freddie's career at all, you know, if you followed the Braves for any amount of time, when he kind of surprised everybody and it was like, I'm back. And he and you know the Braves are posting a video of him and everything. Yeah, I mean, no one really expected it, but it, uh, it wasn't really a surprise. I, I think that you know ultimately, were were you expecting Freddie Freeman to make it? I personally was not, but at the same time, it is Freddie. So he always seems to find his way back, and you know he just beat the clock literally. Uh, he reported like the day before they were going to have to really make a firm decision there. So. It's it's not that – I mean, we're all happy that he's back healthy, that his family is healthy, and that he's able to get back on the field and focus on that again. And, I mean, for a Braves lineup that is good but has some uncertainty to it, it's going to be astronomical to just have that consistency and just know what you're going to get out of that three spot. Yeah, it absolutely is. I don't think it can be stated enough how important Freddie Freeman is going to be for this club and you know, the trajectory of them in a very tough kind of super division. They're competing with the National League East, of course, also some tough clubs in the American League East on the Braves' 60-game slate. So being without Freddie Freeman for a long period of time, if the Braves get off to a slow start, that could you know, bode poorly for Atlanta's playoff chances or at the very least – repeating in the National League East as the champs of that division again, which you'd always prefer to go into the playoffs after winning the division rather than you know, getting in on a wild card. And, of course, we'll have a lot to talk about with the playoffs in a little bit as well. A uh, move that was made, I guess, maybe as an insurance policy for Freddie Freeman, but also to add a little bit of punch to the Braves' DH spot, Matt Adams was signed. Former Brave was over in 2017 and had a pretty good run with Atlanta and was on the world champion Nationals a year ago. And, has kind of hung out in the National League East, but didn't catch on with the Mets, decided to come back to the Braves. What do you make of the Matt Adams signing, and what do you think that adds to Atlanta as far as depth and a little bit of power for the lineup as well? Yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer move, right? Uh, they needed a left-handed bat. He was available cheap, and he was familiar for Snit and for some of these guys. So, it, it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we all remember uh, Matt Adams. We remember his era pretty well. Uh, from a few years ago, if for no other reason than, of course, you know, Freddie's shifting to third base. So to have him back, you do add a little bit more punch. You add a guy who can, who can, would be a logical candidate to DH since the team does seem more inclined to actually play Ozuna in the outfield. So, I mean, it's good all around. It can strengthen their lineup. And if it doesn't work out, ultimately you're not out anything. So, and again, keep in mind, he was, he also beat out Yonder Alonso for that spot. And I, I do think that, Matt Adams is a better player than Yonder Alonso. So just yeah. on that simple move, Atlanta at least margin, marginally upgraded. Yeah, they did. And one of the things that the Matt Adams signing also kind of butted up against was the fact that the Braves were reportedly after Yusio Puig. It, it, the secret was kind of out. The cat was out of the bag when he went wandering through the battery and got recognized. And that's something that I heard Alex Antopoulos talking on 680 The Fan in Atlanta about was, hey, look, it's, it's kind of hard to keep it a secret when somebody that recognizable is wandering around. And you know, he's not ruling out or closing any doors about bringing Puig in if, in fact, you know, that does work out in a few weeks. But Puig's COVID-19 test, you know, he's going to have to come back with the two negatives to get the Braves or any club, really, to feel, you know, okay with signing him and not having to worry about that uncertainty. Do you think that that's a door that the Braves should be knocking on again if the time comes? It could be. You know, first of all, we don't know when Puig will be cleared. 
Right. Uh, obviously, this is working in different ways with Freddie back and Will Smith's been asymptomatic and he's still not back. So, yeah, I mean, the the familiarity that Anthopoulos has with him, I mean, he still checks the need for this team. And yeah. we don't really know. I mean, for all we know, somebody could be injured or somebody could have COVID. And all of a sudden, it makes even more sense to bring him in. And, of course, there's going to be other teams. There's going to be other unavailabilities. And Puig, I would guess, will have more suitors whenever he is available again, just given the ever-changing circumstances. But, yeah, of course, the Braves are smart not to rule it out. It could still very well make sense given where they're at. I mean, he would still he would still fit a need. He would still improve the club regardless of what you think of, you know, his antics or, you know, whatever you want to call whatever he does. Um <laughs> It seemed like, you know, we talked to Charlie Culberson about him, and Charlie had a lot of nice things to say, and his locker was next to his in L.A. And the reality is, is like, you put that out there, and people are going to have different opinions on different guys. Not everyone's experience is going to be the same. Obviously, people did have issues with Big across his career, and some people have actually enjoyed him. So mm-hmm. the Braves weighed all that, and they obviously felt comfortable bringing him into the clubhouse. Now, that didn't happen, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. So it's definitely a little – uh, you know, a little subplot to kind of watch as the season progresses just b- until he actually lands somewhere. Rounding out the rest of the infield, of course, we know Ozzy Albies and Dansby Swanson will be at second and short, respectively. A lot of question marks, though, about what was going to be happening at third base this year, and it's still fair to question what exactly it's going to look like as we get through all 60 games and hopefully into October for a while as well. But it uh, sounded like Brian Snitker was ready to name Austin Riley his opening day third baseman, but was quick to point out, Johan Camargo is a few days away from being fully ready, I guess, to get back in action. But a plus for Camargo is he did not have to land on the injured list to start the year. He's on that active roster, that 30-man roster. So Riley for opening day, and Camargo, I guess, is going to mix himself in and hopefully make himself useful this year as well. That's a big question for Johan after last year having a really down year and about the time he got things going, suffered that injury by breaking his shin on that foul ball. It's a big year for him. Uh, so, you know, hopefully the hamstring is okay. It sounds like it was really minor and yeah. it doesn't seem like there's much to worry about there. But obviously the Braves would love it if Austin Riley just kind of took the reins and ran with it. And he looked really good in spring training. Mm-hmm. And obviously the two homers the other night. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be encouraged with him. You know, with his, his confidence is way up. You can just tell by talking, just hearing him talk. Uh, his mechanics are cleaned up. He could be a guy who just really takes to this and runs with it. Again, we're looking at a 60-game season, and considering how he played in his first, you know, 20 or so games last year, you never know. So, and then at that point, you would have Camargo to just kind of fill in where, you know, if, if they wound up making that decision. Like you said, Snit is really still where at the point where they're going to play both guys, and that does make sense early. But yeah. as we often see with these type of things, somebody might establish themselves. And, you know, I'm not, I don't think to the Braves they're really going to have a preference because they just want the best player they can have at third. Uh, this team's trying to win a World Series. And, you know, if that happens to be Camargo, that doesn't mean that Riley doesn't have a bright future. So, however it works out. Yeah, in a short season, you might just ride the hot hand for a little while, see how far he can carry you. And in the case of Riley exactly. and even Camargo, we've seen both of them have a pretty good run to establish themselves as, I would imagine, an everyday player. And we'll see what they're able to do this year. You brought up Charlie Culberson. He made the roster. It was a question for a little while exactly where Charlie was going to fit in with the plan, but we saw him get a roster spot. 
He'll be in reserve as well as a Danny Echevarria, who the Braves brought back after acquiring him from the Mets last year. And Yonder Alonso, who you mentioned earlier, Gabe, was outrighted to Gwinnett, so that cleared a roster spot as well. So uh, Braves overall in the infield, they've got the depth. Of course, Culberson can play the outfield. Riley could play the outfield if he needed him to. And I think they've got a pretty good club as you look at the infield as we've gone over it and the outfield of Ronald Acuna Jr., Ender Inciarte, and Marcelo Zuna, who I think we now know is going to play a little bit more left field than maybe some people feel comfortable with. But I could be in the minority. I think he's a serviceable left fielder. He's not outstanding, but he's not as bad as a lot of people seem to think he is, in my opinion. Well, that's the thing is, you know, they signed him without having any clue there was going to be a DH. Right. The reality is they wouldn't have brought him in if they thought he was completely unplayable out there. Now, you could argue, are they better off, you know, playing Duvall out there, DH? I mean, I understand mm-hmm. all that. And as, as the season unfolds, it's not like what they plan to do now is going to be permanent. So as the season unfolds, maybe things change. But, yeah, I mean, I, gener- I generally agree with you that this is a guy that you've signed under the expectation that the pitcher was going to be hitting. So they're kind of looking at the DH as – plugging somebody else in there and just keeping Ozuna in left and just having him hit cleanup. Yeah, it's kind of a luxury if you think about it for all the National League clubs that went into the winter. And, of course, when the Braves signed Ozuna, as you mentioned, they weren't thinking about who they were going to be DHing in anything other than interleague games. So, you know, having him out there in left field, I mean, I've, I've watched him play the last few years. I've seen the same highlights everybody else has in terms of, you know, leaping against the wall with balls bouncing off the warning track. But that's not something that's happening on a regular basis. And I think he's serviceable, if nothing else. And as you mentioned, Adam Duvall is in the mix as well. So they've got him. Also, Matt Adams in the DH, I guess, spot, if you want to call it that. Between Duvall and Adams at DH and Marcelo Zuna in left field, that's a pretty good trio to rotate through the two spots to get some power in the middle of that order behind Freddie Freeman. Yeah, they're they're in good shape there. Uh, they seem like they've got – it was a couple of years ago that – we were kind of concerned about this team's power, and, and now now they really seem to have a lot of different guys who can do that, and that's despite losing uh, Donaldson, of course. And, and you know, you reference one more thing on Azuna's defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you reference some of these lowlights. You know, it's kind of in a way, it's kind of like offensive linemen, right? Sure. Uh, if a guy gives up a bad sack, that's what everyone sees. That's what everyone talks about. That's what everyone makes fun of. But they're not looking, you know, when he's having all these successful reps. So with Ozuna, I mean, again, I'm not really defending him. Uh, obviously, he is not the best defender in the world. And maybe the team does wind up deciding that he should DH, or maybe he does prove serviceable enough. But, you know, there's just a lot more to it than simply highlights and lowlights that make somebody a good or bad defender. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good point. So that's a good look at the Braves' 30-man roster, a lot of intrigue, I guess, in some of these positions. and quality depth, if you want to call it that, that the Braves have been hopefully building and building and building so that they can put together a good 60-game season. And of all the names we mentioned, just keep in mind, over the course of the two months to sprint into October, there's going to be some names we didn't call today that are probably going to play a pretty big part in that. So I'm looking forward to getting that started. And with that in mind, some news coming down here late in the week about expanding the playoffs. We were expecting a normal MLB playoff that the owners and the Players Association weren't able to come to terms on expanding the playoffs. And in the last 48 hours, uh, that really changed. And so now expanded playoffs seem to be part of Major League Baseball's plan for 2020. Uh, Where do you sit on this, Gabe? we got a 16-team format for the playoffs. That is not exactly what Major League Baseball fans have uh, come to know and expect when it comes to figuring out who's going to win the World Series. 
it's a lot to process. I've always kind of been for expanding the playoffs and maybe even shortening the regular season, depending on the combination. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you eight teams should not be in. (laughs) Uh, But given the circumstances, you know, if a team has a bad two-week stretch to start, you know, if a team like the Dodgers or something had a bad two-week stretch and then they wound up missing the playoffs because of it, I can understand why. I mean, they're expanding the playoffs for money. But I can also understand the on-field motivation to do this. Yeah. And no question it helps the Braves because I, I don't want to jinx the team or anything, but it, it, if you're letting in eight of, you know, the top eight out of 15 in the NL, it's really hard to see a scenario the Braves aren't one of those eight. Yeah. So, I mean, despite the 60 games and all the madness that could ensue, now, given we're still getting details on how the series will unfold, but it looks like, you know, a three-game series with it being at the – a better team's ballpark. I mean, this certainly teams like the Yankees and Dodgers can't be thrilled about it because it increases the odds of them being upset. Yeah. Uh, but in the Braves' case, I mean, it covers them just in case you do have some of these injuries or some of these pitchers take a little while to get going or just, you know, and because they do have the depth to fill in. I think that certainly the Braves are in good shape. And if you're a fan of the team kind of Arizona, or San Diego, or Milwaukee, one of the Philadelphia, these fringe teams, uh, you've got to be pretty excited today. Uh, so, I mean, it's good for those fan bases, uh, especially the place, you know, we might finally get Trout in the playoffs again. Yeah, that'd be nice. So, there's, yeah, no, there's a lot of good things about it. I mean, it would be cool to see a team like the Padres and some of those young kids actually get in the playoffs and just be able to kind of experience that and be be on national TV. I mean, so so there's definitely some real benefits to it. And the season's going to be just really weird anyway, so why not just continue to make it weird and just see what happens with this? You know, that may be the best point of all, is 2020 is going to be a weird season. We've only got two months to decide who's going to the playoffs anyway, so why not add a little bit of intrigue once you get there? should be pretty interesting, and I'm looking forward to getting it started, Gabe, as the Braves have their opening day against the New York Mets, Soroka and DeGrom. We've been waiting for this longer than I think any of us possibly could have foreseen when this whole thing began back in March, but I'm glad it's finally here. Same. Looking forward to seeing baseball regularly on the TV every single day again. All right. Well, thanks for your time as always. Look forward to chatting with you and uh, getting some results in so we can start looking at Major League Baseball games, sizing up rosters, and, I don't know, evaluating performance in games that actually count as well. Absolutely. Thanks for having me as always. So that's everything going on with the Atlanta Braves as they get set to open up their season against the New York Mets up at City Field. But there's a whole lot of things going on across the world of Major League Baseball. It's, of course, opening day on Thursday. Saw the Nationals and the Yankees get the season started, as well as the Dodgers and the Giants. So some things to discuss as far as that is concerned, but also some big news at the end of this week uh, with expanded playoffs, with a big-time contract being handed out, and with, I guess, some more concerns over COVID-19. And to help me cover all of those bases, I want to welcome Bill Rowland into the show. Bill, been a couple of weeks, but opening day is finally here. You and I have kind of wondered when slash if it was going to get here, but lo and behold, we had a real-life baseball in a regular season format, and it happened on Thursday night, and we got a whole bunch more to dive into right now. Yeah, it's fantastic that baseball is finally back. Even if the game here in, in, in my city was shortened to six innings, it was still fine to sit in front of the TV and watch for six innings, so we'll take it. Baseball's back. I couldn't be happier about it. No doubt about it. And also, we can talk about you know dueling complete games on opening day if we don't get into the whole rain thing. But either way, Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, that's the kind of thing you want to see. Look like a healthy Giancarlo Stanton might be in play for the Yankees this year. That's something that 
I always like seeing the exploits of that guy. He hasn't really gotten a chance to do it much in New York, but they're going to be counting on him big time as they get their season started. And it was, of course, the Yankees behind Cole that picked up the win over Washington and the Dodgers who rallied to beat the San Francisco Giants to open up the season. And every one of these games, we've talked about this, are they're going to count a little bit more because you don't have quite as many this year. Instead of 162, you only get 60. But instead of the normal playoff format that we've seen the past few years, we are going to see an all-new playoff format that will feature 16 teams, Major League Baseball turning its wild-card game into a wild-card round before you get to the Division Series, the Championship Series, and, of course, the World Series. Bill, we talked a lot about the possibility of this. It didn't seem like it was going to happen just in all the negotiations and whatnot throughout the summer, but this was kind of a walk-off hit, if you will, for Major League Baseball and the Players Association to expand the playoffs in 2020. What do you make of all this, and what do you think of it? Yeah, I I mean, it popped up late. I guess they finally got it done last night, so it's a a done deal. But this wasn't really talked about the last couple of weeks. It looked like it was dead on the vine uh, a few weeks ago, and expanding out to 16. But now it's a reality, and they're going to do basically do your division winners. Mm -hmm. Obviously, will go. Everybody who finished second in the division will go. They're six, and then it's going to be the next two teams with the best record as the final slots uh, of number seven and number eight. So eight teams per league. Um, Man, I hope this is only for 2020 because to me, that's really a lot of teams making the playoffs. And that's what I've always liked about baseball is, yeah, it's a long season, 162 games, but you have no excuses if you don't make the playoffs. It's not like you didn't have an opportunity uh, over 162 game schedule. So maybe for 60 games, this will now protect you know, we've talked about it. Some of those better teams that all they have to do is have one, uh, you know, bad slide and you may find yourselves out of the playoffs. Well, this is going to help those teams that may lose five, six, seven games. And, and how we've talked about that could just absolutely ruin you in a 60 game season. Well, now there's still a chance that you may be one of those the wild card teams. And I would not be shocked if a team that finishes, you know, as the seventh or eighth seed actually ends up winning a round or two in the playoffs because. In baseball, it's all it takes. You get your pitching lined up, mm-hmm. you can take out a team who finished as a number one or number two seed. So the expanded playoff format we know has been in place since 2012. That's when the one-game wild card came in. And, of course, we got a nice dose of that in Atlanta the very first year. And while it's nice to get into the playoffs, that wild card format and round, if you want to call it that, of the one-game sudden death coming on the heels of 162 – That happening in 2012, just one year after, we saw how exciting it can be to see an organic pennant race come together with a whole bunch of different storylines all leading to game 162 and then to game 163. So, you know, I I just look at this as manufactured drama. And that's always been my problem with a one-game wild card is that, yeah, winner-take-all kind of game, that's great, but baseball is a game of series. It's always been set up that way. You go through that entire marathon of six months, and then it can all be over in one night without a chance to really, as you put it, line up your pitchers and have your best shot to win the thing. So I like the best of three. I like that everybody's going to be in action. You're going to have the higher seeds hosting the lower seed. So the one seed, the two seed, the three seed, and the four seed will be hosting eight, seven, six, and five in that order. So one versus eight, two versus seven, and so on. That seems like a pretty good format to me if you're going to do this thing. Best of three in a wild card series they did not want to do prior because they talked about all of the different travel problems that you'd have with it. But when you let the higher seed host all the games, you don't have to worry about scheduling travel and off days in the middle of a three-game series 
while a bunch of division winners sit around for a week and don't get to play. So to me, if you've got everybody in action, you're not having to travel a whole bunch, it makes a whole lot of sense to have a wild card series rather than simply a wild card game. Yeah, I do like that. And that's the nice reward you get for being the higher seed is that you get to have all the uh, the games in your ballpark. And I think that's completely fair yeah. in that first round. I don't, again, I don't want to see it beyond 2020, but for the way they've dealt with it for this season, I'm not going to have a problem with it. And who knows? Maybe they'll change my mind. Maybe sure. we'll get to yeah. you know late September, early October, and I'll watch this and I'll be like, wow, they really can pull this off. This should stay permanently. I'm not thinking it's going to go that way, but I'm going to be open-minded enough to at least watch it and see how it goes. But this also opens up, Grant, when you look at some of those teams that we talked about that, hey, they're much improved but I'm not sure they're ready to make the leap. Well, now you've added a few more teams and the ability to quote unquote, make that leap. Isn't that far off. You're adding three more playoff teams in each league. And as we know, the Dodgers, as we saw last night, they were dominant in their first game of the year. They're expected. We think they're going to win probably 40 of the 60 games, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that's probably a, a pretty good spot for them to be in as far as the talent that they have. Well, but what about some of those other teams in that division that we think, have made improvements, not to catch the Dodgers, but are they one of the top eight teams in the National League now? I mean, would you be shocked if an Arizona or a Colorado finished as that number seven or number eight? I wouldn't be, but I would have never thought them to be one of the top five teams in the National League if the playoffs stayed the way they were. Yeah, and there's a handful of teams, I think, that as you look at this, it could really gain an advantage of having the opportunity just to get into the playoffs, which may be a way in some way, shape, or form in a 60-game season to encourage teams to really take a shot because 16 of the 30 clubs are going to get an opportunity to play in October. That is an unprecedented thing in an unprecedented season. So maybe some of those middle market clubs that might have been trading off their closer and their number five hitter or their starting center fielder to one of the playoff hopefuls, they'll hang on to that guy and they'll look for the opportunity in October to see what they can do. So I think it does incentivize some teams that were maybe on the fence. And it really, I think, is going to change the dynamic of what you were looking at at the August 31st trade deadline that you really had to make a decision in the first month of the season where you felt like you were because there's only a month left to go. I think there's a lot of ripple effects from this. I think that most of them could be a good thing. I look at the numbers, just the optics of 16 of the 30 teams making the playoffs. I don't love that, but then as I read through the format, I think if it allows for clubs to have the possibility of getting in October and we can maybe forego some of the quote-unquote tanking that is going on, that could be a good thing that would come from more teams in the playoffs as opposed to simply looking at it as, hey, it's watering down October and I'm not happy with that from a traditionalist standpoint. Though I can certainly see both sides, I can understand why this is an attractive thing to at least try out. And, Bill, if we've learned anything, 2020 might be the year to try a few things out. Yes, again, I won't be as angry if this sticks around as I will be if the, you know, starting the 10th inning with a runner on second <laughs> ends up sticking yeah. around because I don't want anything to do with that no. uh, beyond 2020. I, I guess I understand why they're doing it uh, now, but I, I don't want to see that. And we won't see that in the playoffs, but regular season, I don't want to see it at all beyond this year. And I'm not even sure that it makes that much sense this season. It, it would have made sense for them to do that if they were having to play multiple games at stadiums, if they had stayed in Florida, stayed in Arizona, whatever it is. But because they're playing in the ballparks and they're not having to worry about another game starting, 
there's no reason for them to to have to try to rush through and get mm-hmm. through a a 10 11 inning game so that to me still doesn't make any sense the playoffs expansion again as we talked about it's going to allow those teams that are on the edge you make a push all of a sudden even if you're not getting a home game at all out of it you're still going to be able to sell the t-shirts that say 2020 wild card team or whatever it's going to say on it your fan base is still going to be excited to a certain extent, depending on what city you're in, that they've made the playoffs because maybe they haven't in a long time. And it will give some of these teams that are very young the opportunity to have those players that are 2021, 20, 22 to get that playoff experience that will help them down the road. It's a win all the way around, except for people like maybe you and I that look at it and say, I don't want to see a team go 30 and 30 and get in the playoffs. Yeah, and well, really, I would look at it more so as like I don't want to see a sub five hundred team making the playoffs. I mean, that would sure. the, the optics on that again to use that word is not great, but I am interested to see it, and I'm open to trying this thing out and seeing what it looks like as it plays out. Because I, if for me, it's also that whole I was never really a fan of the one game wild card format. I understand a lot of people like it. I just have never really cared for it. I don't have a, an impassioned speech about it, but. It just didn't do anything for me after 162 games of trying to get somewhere. You should at least have a series where you're allowed to kind of make your own fate there and take two out of three or you lose two out of three and, you know, that's what seals the deal. I'm okay with that. The one game thing, this is not, it does not equate to me as all the drama of a game seven. It's not. It simply is not. It's a lot of uh, manufactured drama has been the word that I've put on it and that's the word I'm going to stick with when it comes to the one-game wild card. But there are going to be some clubs that are going to feel the positive effects of more playoff spots. As I look at the American League, at least for me, you knew the East was going to be tough. The Yankees and Rays were probably going to be the class of that division. This might be a little of an opportunity for the Boston Red Sox. If you look at the Central, I think the Twins were the team that was going to be the favorites in that division. But the White Sox and the Indians there now can be playoff hopefuls and, and wild card hopefuls, if you want to call them that. Out in the West, it seemed a foregone conclusion the Astros and Athletics would be the class of that division. But wouldn't it be great, Bill, to see Mike Trout get back into October again? Because with this, the Angels have a better opportunity than they did as we were marching into the season with the old playoff format. Oh, absolutely. It would be great for baseball as well, not only for for Mike Trout and the Angels, but for baseball because he is right now probably the marquee name uh, out there, if, sure. you, if you look sure. at the, you know, the kids, the, the young kids, all love him, all wearing the trout jerseys. Everybody's chasing his baseball cards and everything else. But he hasn't had the success. The team hasn't had the success to put him in the spotlight. So yeah, if they can find their way into this thing and and he gets hot for a couple games and maybe carries them to a, an upset win, uh, if they're the, you know, the number seven and they knock off whoever the number two is, say it's the Twins, for example. And, and he's able to lead them to a victory, it'll just raise his stature even more. Uh, you also look at a team like Toronto, who probably, as we've talked about you know earlier, they're probably not quite ready. I don't think the pitching is quite there yet, but boy, they've got a lot of young, exciting hitters. They could find themselves in, in this hunt you know, for a, a top eight spot in the American League. It's, I don't think it's too far out of the realm of possibility that they might be there in the end. And wouldn't that be fun to see guys like Pachette and 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 Vlad's son and everybody else up there, you know, all the young kids, the second generation, if you will, going into Yankee Stadium, let's say, for a three-game series. That would be tremendous fun 
to watch those young guys try to go up against Cole and the Yankees in a three-game set. So there's a lot of intriguing possibilities that could come about with this expanded playoffs. And as you mentioned, there are teams like the White Sox and the Indians who maybe weren't sure. Maybe Lindor can lead the Indians again on another run into October. And once you get there, you never know what can happen. You just mm-hmm. got to get hot for a couple of weeks. And we see it all the time during the regular season where a team will rip off you know, a 12-3 and three streak in the middle of August. Well, you have that in October, and you're going to be in a pretty good position to be playing for a title. Yeah, you're going to be pretty happy about that. The one thing I will say, the caveat of what Toronto's trying to do is they don't know if they're going to be playing 60 road games yet or not. So they've right, got all kinds right. of things to figure out. We can dive into that a little bit later, but they do have an exciting young core, and it would be fun to see those kids get a chance to get that experience in October. And I think it would be fun for Major League Baseball fans in general to see some of these kids and some of these teams just get those opportunities. I'm all about that when it comes to this particular playoff scenario in the year 2020 where it really feels like all bets are off. As you look over the National League side in the East, I think we're expecting the Braves, the Nationals, the Phillies and Mets to some extent to all be, you know, kind of scratching and clawing for that NLE's crown. And then you look in the Central, I felt like, and we, you and I have talked about this, the Reds are a much improved team, but you've still got the Cardinals, the Brewers, and the Cubs in that division. This ups the playoff stock for at least two of those four clubs, I would imagine. And then out West, the Dodgers have been winning that division year after year after year, but this could finally be a time for, say, the Diamondbacks or the Padres or maybe even the Rockies to climb up and do something and get back into October as well. So it's an open door in a lot of ways. It's an opportunity that wouldn't have been there before. I know there's a big player pool that's attached to this in terms of making some more money. Uh, a playoff pool, but hey, look, all around, I'm. I think there are a lot more pros than cons for expanding the playoffs this year, testing it out, and then seeing if it needs to be tweaked or if you want to continue doing this in the future. But those are a lot of teams that have pretty intriguing rosters and could make for some pretty interesting October storylines. Oh, no question, and and I think all of those outside of the Dodgers in the West, that we are expecting them to run away with the division, but. We even talked about it before this expanded playoffs. We said, look, the the NL East could very easily be a three-team hunt, depending on how the pitching goes with the uh, with the Phillies. But the Nationals should be there because their pitching is still pretty solid, even if they lost Anthony Rendon in, in free agency. We know the Braves are still going to be okay because they've won the division in the last couple of years. So the Phillies are intriguing. The Mets, i still not sure that they can win the division, but certainly they could be one of the top eight teams in the National League. And the Central's the same way. I think there's three teams there that you can make an argument easily that they could win this division, especially when it's only a 60-game sprint, talking about the Cardinals, the Cubs, and the Brewers. But the Reds, also an intriguing possibility to possibly Mm -hmm. get hot and then be one of the top eight teams. So I think it's going to be the races themselves are going to be great, mainly because it's 60 games. And you're going to be able to stay in it a lot longer, I think, than if it were a 162-game schedule and then you get 90 games into it and you're 10, 12, 13 games back, obviously it's over at that point unless you get incredibly hot. Not going to be the case this year. So I think we're going to have a lot of races coming down from about you know September 1st and even September 15th on. You may have you know, 10, 12 teams still in it uh, all the way up to the last couple of weeks. I think that's what Major League Baseball is hoping for. No two ways about that. So expanded playoffs, it's going to be – an interesting caveat for the 2020 season. We've got a few of those in play and uh, 
We've got a few of those in place already, but this, another one, and something that will affect a whole bunch of clubs, so something to keep our eye on in these division races, pennant races, and all of the fun that goes with trying to fight your way into October. Meanwhile, that wasn't the only big news at the end of the week. There was a big contract that was handed out, and Bill, i got to be honest with you, I was a little bit surprised to see it, but it makes all the sense in the world, especially from the player side of things. Mookie Betts was traded by the Red Sox to the Dodgers with just one year to go before free agency, but he's not going to be hitting free agency. In fact, he's signing one of the biggest deals in sports history, a deal that was in line, if not a little bit more, than what Mike Trout got not too long ago. It's a 12-year, $365 million extension that will keep Betts in Los Angeles for more than the next decade, 13 years 392 million overall on this deal for bets, including the 27 million this year, a $65 million signing bonus for him. Basically, the Dodgers wanted to keep Mookie Betts around for a long time. They made the trade to go out and get him. You knew they were going all in in 2020, but now they have one of the best players in baseball to build their team around. And I can't help but think a little bit that you know the rich are getting richer here because the Red Sox had to trade away their centerpiece. And now the Dodgers have installed him for what looks like it's going to be a very long time out in Chavez Ravine. Yeah, great deal for Mookie Betts. And and quite honestly, I think the way that salaries are going in Major League Baseball, I I think we may look uh, four or five years from now and and actually say that Mookie, if he continues to play as well as he has and put up the numbers that he has, he actually might be, I'm not going to say a bargain uh, or a steal, but he'll at least be in line with what he's being paid, and people won't be thinking it's outrageous that he's making that kind of money. Again, a lot of it's predicated on him staying healthy and also continuing yeah. to produce. But I think the Dodgers were a lot of people kind of attacked them last year when they didn't go after Bryce Harper, uh, you know, in, in free agency and trying to get him. But obviously, they knew kind of what they wanted to do and getting Mookie decided to lock him up and. If you compare numbers, you know, uh, people may be surprised by this, but but Betts has actually had the better career uh, in less years so far than Bryce Harper. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the metrics, he's a better defender. So all in all, I think the Dodgers are going to end up with a pretty good deal on this. Now, again, the back end when he's in his late 30s and isn't able to steal 20, 25 bases on the regular, maybe it'll be a bloated contract at that point. But I think they're hoping – winning it in 2020, maybe a couple other times while he's there with them. At that point, they're saying the money would be worth it. Yeah, it would definitely be worth it. And if they win the World Series at some point over this contract, you could argue that it's worth it. And the Dodgers have not won it since 1988. So they're very well aware of how long their World Series drought is. And Mookie Betts is a big piece to be able to build around and know that he's going to be there. And it's not that they necessarily traded away so many prospects that they put themselves in a in a bad position in a bind if you will if bets didn't come back but i look at it you know from mookie betts's side of things with all the uncertainty going on with major league baseball and the labor situation with what's going on financially in the game based on the impact of the coronavirus pandemic while you might have expected him to go out and get that big deal in free agency there's no guarantee that it was really going to be there and that bidding war was going to take place meanwhile he managed to get and not just a a good offer, but a great offer from the Dodgers. And if I'm in his shoes, I'm not even worrying about hitting free agency at this point because it would look like from a financial standpoint, he got everything that he wanted, security and then some got paid requisite to his skill set and his stature as one of the best players in the game. And you start looking at largest MLB contracts and total value, 
It's Mike Trout at $426.5 million, and then Betts at $392 million. And then you drop down about $60 million, which is, you know, easy for us to talk about. You got Bryce Harper, Giancarlo Stanton, Garrett Cole, Manny Machado, all over $300 million as well. But there was just some question about whether or not this big deal was going to be out there based on all the uncertainty going on in the world. Well, now Betts doesn't have to worry about that, and he does not have to change addresses in the winter. And I think he's picked himself a pretty good club to stick around with because they are built to win and seem to be doing it just about every year when it comes to you know, having a chance. When you start talking about October favorites, the Dodgers are on that short list every single year. It is interesting to think about because you mentioned the guys that are, are wrapped up with these contracts. Harper on a long-term deal, now bets. We know about Trout. I mean, who out there is the next guy then to come up and, and join the 300 or $350 million dollar club as far as the total contract I, I i'm not sure who's up in the next couple of years that might you know garner these types of numbers uh and the possibility of it because teams are being smart now and locking these guys up instead of four or five year deals they're taking the risk they're doing the gamble and signing them to long term and hoping that with the training that these guys do and the, and the medical staffs that they have that they can keep these guys at least healthy and productive I would imagine for eight, nine, ten years of it, even if it doesn't get through all 13 years, they need 10 good years of production. But who's next in your mind that might join these guys with that $300 million contract? That's a great question. And the Braves had one of those guys that I thought would be in line for a huge deal. But Ronald Acuna Jr. signed a very team-friendly extension right. last year. It, it has him lined up for the next decade at about $100 million. I think if they max the whole thing out, it might go up to, what, 125 that is a far cry from a $350 million contract or more. I guess when you talk about Acuna, the other guy that you talk about in lockstep as far as young stars is Juan Soto. I mean, he's a guy that's got all the talent in the world as well. He could be perhaps the next guy that cashes in on a big contract like that. But I don't think we'll be talking about it for three, four more years. I mean, the Nationals don't have to give him $350 million right now. Having learned from Bryce Harper, maybe if they want to keep him around, it would be good to engage in conversations before he gets to free agency or the year before. But either way, I mean, Soto would be on my short list of guys that could command that kind of money because he's going to reach free agency at a very good age for himself, much like Harper, much like Mookie Betts as well. I think he'll be the next guy to cash in a deal that big. I just can't think of anybody else off the top of my head. Maybe Aaron Judge? Yeah, sure. I mean, a guy like Judge, I can see five years, $200 million, where his average value mm -hmm. is $40 million a year. But I don't think the Yankees are going to ink him to a 12-year, $370 right. million dollar deal. It just doesn't make any sense for them. So maybe Soto does, but I don't know that it would be in Washington because, let's face it, they let Harper walk, and then they go and win a World Series. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, that they were maligned for not paying the money and then they went ahead and, and they won anyway uh, after he left in free agency. It wasn't that long after that that they were able to, to win a World Series title. So while the ownership group in Washington certainly has the money, the learners cannot cry poor, they've been pretty studious about giving the money to pitching and not necessarily to hitters, thinking that they can find the hitters. And so far for them, knock on wood, they've been able to do that through the draft and international free agency. But yeah, I think a guy like Judge could challenge the you know year value, but I don't think he's getting the long-term deal. I don't think he's going to get to the $350, $400 million mark. It will be interesting to see who the next guy is because 
you know, maybe it's a guy like Lindor, but I don't think Lindor is going to garner that kind of cash and free agency. I think Lindor could get a two hundred plus million dollar contract easily, and might approach much more. Could get up to three hundred. I think Lindor is a better player than Manny Machado, who got a three hundred million dollar contract. So there is that. Lindor is a very good call. I just went back and looked at Aaron Judge. He's really less than a year older than Mookie Betts. Judge just turned what twenty eight years old, and in October of this year. Mookie Betts will join him in turning 28. So from April to October, you're talking about, what, six months. So these guys are really not that far apart. I was having the feeling that Judge was a couple of years older than Mookie Betts. But inside of six months, maybe I'll go back and think about it. Maybe Judge does get an eight- or a ten-year deal. may not be 13 years, but I think he could get himself a nice big contract. And if he stays healthy and hits like he has in his young career, Judge would be a guy the Yankees would want to keep around for a long time. And if he reaches free agency, perhaps another team would like to have Aaron Judge for a very long time as well. So those are a handful of guys that might be able to, you know, crack that, you know, next level stratosphere when it comes to big contracts. But there's a whole lot of uncertainty as well with another CBA that's got to be negotiated with the financial impact of the pandemic that we're dealing with, how Major League Baseball spending is going to look. All bets are off in that respect. And a lot of that uncertainty to bring this all back to Mookie Betts is a big reason why both for the Dodgers who wanted to keep him and for Betts who wanted to you know, get the deal done, get his big contract. This is a win-win for both sides. And if Betts stays healthy, I think the Dodgers have just set themselves up to be the team to beat out West and perhaps in the National League for the foreseeable future. Yeah, no question, especially with the other young guys that they have. You saw Dustin May last night making the start for them. He's a youngster. Uh, you know, Gavin Lux, who got mm-hmm. sent down. I mean, they've they've got a core group there, and we didn't even mention Cody Bellinger or guys right. like that. I mean, the so, Dodgers are loaded. Yeah, let's go back to Cody Bellinger for a moment because I think his name needs to be thrown into the conversation. 25 years old. He's a guy that has already proven himself as a quality player, an MVP player. Christian Yelich already got a big deal, so clearly when you talk Bellinger, Yelich usually comes up as well. But maybe Bellinger's the next guy that gets a $300-plus million contract, okay. but – how in the world can the Dodgers have two of those on the same team? It's it's nice to have that kind of financial spending and backing if you're a, a fan of the Los Angeles Dodgers. But I will say not many clubs are out there giving out these decade-long $300-plus million deals to player after player year after year. But maybe Bellinger's the guy who's actually on the clock here, and he was – right there, not far away from Mookie Betts when it comes to occupying the same clubhouse and the same lineup as well. Yeah, that's a great call. Um, I'm not sure how far off he is from free agency, but he may be that guy. And wouldn't that be interesting if they're paying two guys combined $70 million a year? That's, uh, yeah, then then you're going to have teams around Major League Baseball maybe start thinking about, hey, you know what, maybe we do need to have a, a salary cap on here and and figure it out. The players will fight it, but it may be the best for the health of the uh, health of the, the 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 Major League Baseball in general, rather than just having two or three teams that can afford to spend that money. Yeah, these are questions they're going to have to wrestle with, and answers they're going to have to find in the next CBA. And if we know anything about the Players Association and just the earning potential in general, I don't think anybody's wanting to come in and uh, go into the salary cap conversation and just have it be an no. open and shut case as far as ownership is concerned. But baseball does have to figure that stuff out. Bellinger, if you're curious year four of his career this year and just turned 25 years old a couple of weeks ago. So he's right in that wheelhouse as well to perhaps get a big contract and an extension before he ever hits free agency. 
would not surprise me as well. So we'll see how that all plays out. But as we wrap up what's going on across Major League Baseball, of course, we're all excited about opening day. COVID-19 testing, though, is going to be something we're going to monitor throughout this season. Big story on opening day was Juan Soto of the Nationals getting a positive COVID-19 test. A lot of discussion around that and, of course, trace testing and a lot of other things that the uh, the baseball world is going to have to to grapple with and make sure that they're following the right protocols to not put other teammates at risk of exposure as well. That being a discussion to be had. And also, we touched on earlier, the Blue Jays, based on how Canada is handling the coronavirus, not going to be able to play their home games at Rogers Center. So there's a lot of stuff still happening with this pandemic. And while we're excited to have baseball back, uncertainty is still out there. Yeah, I'm going to start with the Blue Jays uh, on that one. It's unfortunate that they weren't able to get it done there in Canada. And and then they looked at, to the minor league parks. And you know this, having uh, done and called games in, in minor league stadiums, people were like, oh, just send them to Buffalo, send them to Charlotte, send them to Nashville, wherever they can go. The problem is the lighting is way different at minor league parks, and it's not up to Major League Baseball standards. And that's one of the reasons that they can't go play at some of these minor league parks because they say major league baseball says that the lighting isn't good enough and you can't play major league baseball games at these parks. I think it's a little bit of a, of a dive where they don't want to send them to, you know, necessarily these cities because you let the minor leagues play there. You let your guys on rehab go down and play yeah. there. Uh, so why wouldn't they be able to do it? But that's what major league baseball has said. So yeah, they're going to kind of be the nomads, I guess, uh, of major league baseball. I, I'd like to see them figured out where they can at least have somewhat of a quote-unquote home park. But I'll be honest with you, I don't know how they're going to be able to pull it off because, again, logistically, you're talking about having them occupy a locker room that maybe use, you know, with other visiting teams coming in. How yeah. do you make sure that the stuff's all, you know, cleaned the, properly the way it's supposed to be done? And, look, they're going to be living out of a suitcase for the next three months anyway, but – man, it's tough not to just let them go to a Buffalo or someplace like that where they can just say, this is our home base and work from there. But I feel bad for them. Yeah, It's just Major League Baseball won't bend to that rule. No, and, and it's hard to blame them. I mean, there's a lot of different things at play here, a lot of nuance, if you want to call it that, for lack of a better term, with what minor league parks or minor league facilities would be good for them. They Dunedin is apparently at the bottom of the list, despite the fact they do their spring training there. It's in Florida, which has had a, a rash of coronavirus or COVID-19 you know, positive tests. It's been on a surge down there, so they don't want to get into that. Also, I can tell you from firsthand experience, Dunedin is not the nicest facility in the Florida State League or Grapefruit League, let alone where you'd want to be sending a Major League Baseball club to play its entire season. Plus, if you want to throw this in there, which I think would have to be a, a factor, they're going to have a whole bunch of rain in Florida, I can tell you, because I worked in that league and I sat through plenty of rain delays at that ballpark in general. And it's just not a whole lot of fun to have a Major League Baseball club trying to work around playing outdoor baseball in Florida in the summer. I don't think they want to do that either. But they're going to have to figure this out. They're going to have to do it in a a relative hurry. Otherwise, it's going to be a huge road trip for the Blue Jays that lasts 60 games, and they're not going to have much continuity of any place to call home to just you know have that respite from the road, which would be incredibly tough, to put it very mildly when it comes to how they're going to handle what the Blue Jays are going to do this year. We'll be interested to find some kind of resolution to that, and it may take a few days. It may take a couple of weeks before they're able to pivot and find a place for them to land. So uh, we're monitoring that, but also on the COVID-19 front, Juan Soto news was pretty big in the baseball world on Thursday. 
Now, he took a bevy of rapid response tests afterwards. Those were negative. So there's the possibility that his initial positive test was a false positive. But they're going to have to get back the negative test results, two of them in a span of more than 24 hours for Soto to be cleared. He did play in an exhibition game. He did work out with the team on Tuesday and Wednesday, respectively. And then come opening day, test results come back that he had this positive test. So baseball is going to have to wrestle with this. I can't imagine Juan Soto will be the only time that this happens. No, and that's going to be a big thing because it could happen come the playoffs Mm -hmm. as well. And you get a false positive for your guy who you expected to be your game one, game three, whatever it is, starter. And all of a sudden now he can't pitch and he has to get two tests to come back negative. I mean, it really could impact the way things go when it comes playoff time. And But this is what everybody's going to have to deal with. They're just going to have yeah. to hope that it doesn't happen. But, yeah, as you mentioned, he took three or four other tests and it all came back negative, but because that one popped positive, he's not allowed to be with the team. He's not allowed to go and work out with them. He's not allowed to do all this other stuff until another one that they send off, I guess, to the lab. It comes back. He's got to get two negative ones uh, within 48 hours of each other, I think is what it is. Um, and then he can go back and play again. So, yeah, interesting that it happened with the team that was actually playing on baseball's opening night. And right. so it kind of got a lot more uh you know, press than maybe if it had been, you know, if it happened, you know, Tuesday of next week. But this is what they're going to have to deal with. And Mike Rizzo doesn't need me to defend him, the, the general manager of the Nationals. But a lot of people got mad because Rizzo basically, you know, came out and in his statement said, look, we're going to have to handle this as we would any other injury. And people jumped on that, you know, with, oh, sorry, if he's got a torn ACL, he can't give that to somebody else in his clubhouse. If he's got... You know, this, he can't give it to somebody else in the clubhouse. Rizzo wasn't talking about handling right. the the COVID that way. He meant as far as juggling their roster and right. being able to fill somebody else in, testing positive for the coronavirus was going to be no different from a roster building process as if he had been out with a sprained ankle. So I hope people will go back and at least realize that because, as you know, on social media, all it takes is for somebody to take a snippet and not the full context of something and off and running. And I saw a lot of people absolutely jumping all over Rizzo and the Nats yesterday, and that's not what they were talking about. They meant as far as constructing the roster, you're not going to do anything different, whether the guy tore an ACL or had a sprained shoulder or whatever it is, you're still going to have to just fill in and somebody else is going to have to step up in his place. He didn't mean that they're treating it like any other injury and that Juan Soto is hanging out in the clubhouse, you know, with his feet up, getting his knee iced down, you know, and and infecting everybody. That's not what Rizzo meant, but everybody jumped on him for it. You know, it's unfortunate that you have to explain it like that, but there's so much going on online in that environment and people are looking for things to get outraged about, be outraged about, you know, pile on about that kind of thing. And that was nothing new. But it really feels like we have hit a next level in 2020 because I think of all the frustrations that we're having on a personal basis as a society, as you know, across the world. Everything is also very politically charged because there's an election at the end of the year. And these are not things that I like to wander into and have conversations with on the Internet because you're not going to find me arguing with complete strangers about politics on Twitter. That's just not what I want to do. I want to be as respectful as possible in discussions so that that dialogue will hopefully lead to 
the changes and the things that we want to see as far as quality of life is concerned. But, you know, when you start getting online and getting into that echo chamber, if you will, both in, you know, whether it's politics or sports or whatever else, anything that people care deeply about, you're going to find all kinds of different things that, again, you wonder why you have to explain it because it seems pretty obvious. But I think sometimes it just a lot of it is people just looking for the attention, just looking for the reaction and just doing it because, hey, everybody else is doing it. So right. it's kind of the world that we live in right now. And for Mike Rizzo, for the Nationals, you know, saying that, hey, we're going to have to handle this a certain way in terms of their roster construction, that seems like a pretty obvious statement. Nobody's saying that, oh, well, now Tommy John surgery is something that you can catch if you're too close to the guy that just had ligament replacement surgery the week okay. before. I mean, again, it's silly, but it's the world we live in, and I think you just have to have really good filters to be able to find your way through the day a lot of days, and it's felt like most of the year 2020. So that's what's going on in the world of Major League Baseball. we got opening day. we got baseball back. The Braves and Mets are going to be opening up on Friday with their weekend series happening up in New York. And, Bill, I'm looking forward to talking about the results of live Major League Baseball games over the coming weeks as we sprint right into October. That's a great way to call it. It is going to be a sprint, and uh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to jump on and talk a little baseball. Hope everybody has a great weekend, enjoys the games, and I'm looking forward to doing it again real soon. That'll do it for this episode of From the Diamond. As always, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. They're always welcome. And if you like the podcast, please be sure to share it with a friend. We're very excited about opening day, a brand new baseball season. You can also follow along on social media on Twitter at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can find Bill Rowland at Bill Rowland, B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D. And, of course, Gabe Burns. You can find at Gabe Burns AJC on Twitter as well. And you can find every episode of the show and so much more at FromTheDiamond.com. That wraps us up for this big opening day edition of From the Diamond. We're looking forward to bringing you much more Braves and baseball talk on the next episode of the show. And until then, I hope you enjoy your opening day, your opening weekend, and we will catch you next time right here on From the Diamond. So long, everyone. <laughs>